The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Coffee with a pastor friend of mine who was in, uh, who, who, he pastors in Owensboro, and he, he said, uh, what are you preaching through right now? I said, well, I'm going through the book of Matthew. He said, that's interesting, so am I. He said, I'm only to the Sermon on the Mount, though, so I'm determined to beat him uh, to the end of the book, but... There you go. Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to begin in uh, verse number 1, and we're going to read through 15. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bags for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food." Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. For truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Well, Matthew chapters 5 through 9 are about Jesus beginning his earthly ministry as he went around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom is at hand. And so he taught about kingdom principles in, in his Sermon on the Mount recorded in chapters 5 through 7. He taught about entering the kingdom through the narrow gate, entering through him by putting their trust in Jesus. And he taught about the kingdom, of the, the principles of the kingdom. Uh, people who are part of the kingdom of God, who are truly saved, ought to live differently than the world lives. Amen? So we see his teaching about the kingdom in chapters 5 through 7. And then in chapters 8 through 9, we took uh, several weeks and we looked at different miracles that Jesus did to demonstrate his power and authority within that kingdom. So two weeks ago, we came to the end of chapter 9 where Jesus looked, upon the, uh, looked out upon the, uh, the, the lost sheep of Israel and his heart was broken, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but what? The laborers are few. And do you remember what he instructed the disciples to do? Pray, therefore, for laborers. 
Now, this is interesting. We move now into chapter 10, the very next text, and we see that the disciples are actually the answer to their own prayer. Can somebody grab those? Thank you, Joe. Mommy, mommy. I'm just glad it's none of you crying while I'm preaching. So the disciples become the answer to their own prayer. And you and I need to be willing to be the answer to our own prayer. Amen? Uh, It's interesting, through the years, I've had many people come up to me and say, Oh, Pastor, I've got this great idea. I believe the Lord's laid it on my heart for this ministry at the church. And I go, great. When are you going to start it? Oh, no, 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 not me. I'm praying for somebody else. Listen, we need to be willing to be the answer to our own prayer. Amen? So chapter 10 in its entirety is about the the commissioning of the 12 apostles. Now it's very interesting. I'll point you to verse 1. Matthew begins by referring to the 12 as disciples. And in the Greek, uh, the, the word disciple literally means a learner or one who follows one's teaching. So Jesus has been preaching and teaching about the the kingdom of God, and Matthew, as well as the other 11 disciples, have already heard the message, and they have decided to follow the Lord and to live by those kingdom principles. So they're already disciples. They're learners, and they are determined to follow Jesus. So Matthew begins in verse 1 by calling the 12 disciples. But then look at verse 2. Matthew calls them what? Apostles. Well, the word apostle means a messenger and one who is sent forth, kind of on a mission. And so the 12 apostles listed here at the beginning of Matthew, plus, by the way, in, in Acts we read the, the apostle Paul, he's kind of the 13th disciple. They functioned in a very unique calling within the church. The 12 were personally trained by Jesus. I, I have, you know, I always encourage pastors to go to Bible college and get formal training. And they're like, well, the disciples uh, never went to college. And I'm like, dude, they went to Jesus University for three years. Come on. Like, right? And so uh, the, the 12 were personally trained by Jesus. And Jesus called them and he equipped them and he empowered them to lay the foundation of the church. And so I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, So you are no longer strangers and in aliens. He's writing to a largely Gentile audience who were not, in the Old Testament, considered the people of God. He said, listen, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you're members of the household of God, built, get this, on the foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Interesting, isn't it? The church was built upon the apostles of the New Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament, with Jesus being the cornerstone. So uh, Paul is, is in the book of Ephesians. He's using what we call uh, kind of temple theology here, or, or temple vocabulary. The, the temple was served as the meeting place of God and man, where heaven and earth overlapped, as it were. 
And so it's, it's very interesting that, that Paul is, is essentially saying, listen, the, the physical temple is not the meeting place between God and man now. Why? Because the people of God, because of the, the, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, we are now filled with the Spirit. We take the presence of God with us everywhere we go. So Paul is painting this picture that we are the temple of God. The church collectively, we are the temple. And within that temple, the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. And then the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And Peter says that you and I are stones in that temple. Isn't that exciting? So the, the apostles functioned in this very unique calling. And so it is my understanding that there are no more what we might call capital A apostles. But I believe that there still are lowercase a apostles. And I think the term lowercase a apostle is synonymous with what we might call a missionary. These are people who are sent out, just like the uh, capital A's, uh, A apostle were sent out. They are sent out across the world to, to reach new people groups that do not have the gospel. Now, not all of us are called to be missionaries. Not all of us are called to quit our jobs and be vocational pastors. But listen to me very closely. Every one of us are called to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That includes you. I made the case two weeks ago when we talked about the laborers that we are all called to ministry. And there's two aspects of that ministry to which we are all called. Number one, we talked about this. Uh, you, you and I are all called to minister within the church. That was the theme of the New Believers class this morning. We are called to serve one another. Paul talks about that we are members of one household and we are part of one body, members of one body. And the idea is this, that we all have, just like every body part on your physical body has a different function, so it is in the church. Each of you are blessed with a unique gift that you bring to this local body. You have a unique gift. You may not have my gift. I may not have your gift. But we are expected, hear me, each and every one of us to serve the church regularly with our particular gifts. And so if you're not serving, I encourage you, get involved because our church is not what it could be without you serving and using your gifts for the glory of God and the good of the church. So we're called to minister within the church, but the focus today is our call to evangelism to evangelize, to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Because we're called not just to ministry in here. Every one of us are called to ministry out there. You believe that? So here's the main point today. As vital as prayer is, and we ought to pray for the lost, and we ought to pray for laborers, we all need to be willing to be the answer to that prayer. We need to be willing to share the gospel with the lost. And so though chapter 10 is about the unique calling and commissioning of the disciples, I want to point out several universal truths that will help us to evangelize, to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So here we go. Number one, evangelism is a team effort. It's a team effort. I think this is going to be very encouraging to you. I want you to flip over with me to the book of Mark. One book over in chapter 6 and verse 7. This is Mark's account of the same commissioning of the apostles. 
And here's what he writes. And Jesus called the twelve, this is chapter 6, verse 7, he called the twelve and began to send them out, what? Two by two. Now flip back to Matthew, and you'll notice in Matthew's account, do you notice how the disciples are mentioned two by two? Look at verse 2. The names of the twelve apostles are these, Simon and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, so on and so forth. Friends, ministry is a team effort. That is the normal pattern. This idea of ministry and teamwork, it's the normal pattern throughout the New Testament. Think of it. Uh, you go to the book of Acts. Think of Peter and John teaming up. Think of Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and John Mark. The, the, the leaders were, of churches were uh, expected to, um, to acquire a plurality or install a plurality of elders or pastors in each church. Not just one pastor, but multiple pastors or elders in each church. Think of Acts chapter 7 when seven deacons were uh, appointed to, to help the widows in need. So you see, ministry is not meant to be done alone. Friends, we aren't called to be lone rangers in ministry. And again, I, I harp on this all the time, but we have to fight against our tendency towards Western individualism. It's not about me and God. It's about we and God. Who's with me? I, I think about ministry success within this church. I, I could not be more pleased at, at, where we, at where we're at right now. I mean, I'm just ecstatic about the health of this church and how people are growing in the faith. That success has come in two main ways. Number one, it is only by the grace of God. We are who we are by the grace of God. And secondly, that grace has flowed through not just me, but through you. This is a team effort. In most small churches, it's the pastor's job to do everything. That's not the case here. You guys are so generous. I mean, we have three other associate pastors. We've got three deacons who are wonderful. We've got, uh, we, we've got uh, all kinds, I think 11 directors, and then many of you, the multitude, the, the majority of you who volunteer to make this church what it is. This is a team effort. Amen? So why is it important to engage uh, with others in our ministry to the lost? Like, why is team, the idea of teamwork, so important? Well, think about it. Number one, I think it helps us in boldness. How many of you have ever done a sales job where you've had to go door to door or business to business, even worse? Yeah? Is that not frightening? <laughs> I worked for our worship leader. He's not here today, but, but Bob Stamper, and he has a tech company. When he was first getting his business off the ground, there was, like, no money for marketing and stuff. So it's like, you just have to go house to house to house. And I'm like, all right. And I remember, I mean, just my whole body would tense up when I would stand at the front door. I'm like, should I knock? You know, I'm shaking. It's, it's overwhelming. Even worse, I had to walk from business to business. It's overwhelming. I don't care if you're an extrovert or introvert. It's overwhelming. But I'll tell you this. It's much easier when someone goes with you because you're in it together. And it's the same with evangelism. When we go two by two or three by three, 
It's so much easier. By the way, the, the other religions such as Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, and they are other religions, by the way, they're good at this. We are not. How many of you have ever had a Jehovah Witness or Mormon show up by themselves at the door? Nope. They get it. <laughs> we need to learn from them. You'll, you'll never hear me say we need to learn from the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses again, but there it is. So we have this boldness. But secondly, when we're together, there's accountability. We, we make sure, we're able to make sure with one another that we stay true to the gospel message. And by the way, that we're living by the principles of the gospel, that our lifestyle matches what we're preaching. There's accountability. And finally, and I love this fact that when we're together, it's just encouraging. There's encouragement. Jesus said, when you go out and you preach this message, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. People are antagonistic, many of them, towards the gospel. And I'm telling you, when persecution comes and you're by yourself, it's devastating. But when you have a trusted brother or sister who is with you, it is bearable. Beyond that, when I think of encouragement, from time to time, we all go through spiritual droughts. Your pastor goes through spiritual droughts. And one of the beautiful things here is that when I'm in this perhaps spiritual drought, and I don't feel like praying or evangelizing or preaching or any of these things, studying the Word. I've got other men and women who can come along beside me and spur me on to good works. Let me just read you a, a beautiful text in Hebrews 10, 24. The writer says, Let us, believers, consider how to stir, up, uh, stir, stir one another up to love and good works. That ought to be our mission challenge one another, to encourage one another, and to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, when we think about team, I'm going to preach for a second. How many know that working with other people can be challenging? It is not easy. If you did not say amen to that, you have not worked in the church before. But I want you to consider the apostles. I mean, their temperaments, what we know about them, varied very greatly. Think about Peter, type A, bull in a china shop, asks questions all the time, speaks before he thinks. And then you have John, who seems to be more passive and quiet and thoughtful, and yet they work together. Then you have, even more puzzling, you have Simon the Zealot. Now, the Zealots were a sect of Jews who were considered revolutionaries. Their whole goal, they were patriots, and they wanted to overthrow Rome. They didn't want to be under the bondage of Rome. And they would take Rome by force. That was their goal. As a matter of fact, the great ancient historian Josephus, you know what he called the zealots? He called them dagger men because of their frequent assassinations. assassinations, assassinations. They were no joke. And so you have Simon the zealot, the revolutionary, the patriot, the one who will take your life if you come against his people. But then you have Matthew, the tax collector, seen as a traitor to his people, who worked for the enemy, Rome. You see the problem? And yet Jesus calls all these different personalities together. And I just want you to consider these men being in the same room and working together. I mean, you could cut the tension, I'm sure, with a knife. And we feel that sometimes as we move throughout the gospel accounts. 
Then you have Judas, by the way, who was a betrayer of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a false disciple, a hypocrite. And yet, here's the beauty. These 12 men, well, I should say 11, minus, so 12 minus Judas, they worked together. They worked through their relational issues, and they kept their hand to the plow to do what God had called them to do. It's a beautiful picture. You and I must do the same. I've been in this a long time, and I've worked with some people that, frankly, drive me crazy. But yet, by the grace of God, it's a joy to work with them. Now, I had asked the praise team originally to, to sit on the stage this morning, but I'm going to say something, and, and I asked them not to sit on stage because I didn't want you to see their response, but I'm just going to be frank and say, with some of my leadership, it's not funny, um, I drive them crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I hardly ever get amens, and there you go. <laughs> Friends, here's the thing. We've got to be willing to work through those tensions. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about the mission. It's about the lost people. And this takes humility, which means it's not about you. So if you're constantly getting your feelings hurt, oh, listen, it's not about you. It's not about you. We need humility. We need patience. If somebody's not where you're at, if they're a little bit immature, if they're new to the faith, goodness gracious, offer them grace. Be quick to forgive. And it takes, listen, if we're going to work together, it takes tenacity. The, the, the common response to, to relational tension as a church is in, in the contemporary church, it's just, I'll just leave and go somewhere else every time somebody makes me mad. Are you kidding me? Listen, we're a family. So I would suggest if no one ever hurts your feelings in the church, then you're not connected because families hurt each other from time to time. But when your blood relatives hurt you, you don't walk out on them if you're a good family member. You work through it. And it's the same in the church. Friends, we are a family, and I'm so glad to have you as a family. And when we have issues and misunderstandings, personality differences and tensions, we need to be willing to work through those things. Amen? Now, ministry is a team effort. And that's my longest point, because some of y'all are saying there's six of these, if you've got the note sheet. Number two, the scope of ministry is narrow. Look with me, if you would, at verses five and six. The scope of ministry is narrow. Jesus sent the twelve out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So on this missionary journey, Jesus gave his disciples clear and concise instructions on where to go, what to say, and they were to focus on the Jews only in a particular region. Now it's not, you say, well, Jesus doesn't care about the Gentiles and the Samaritans. Oh, yes, he cares about them. And we, we read that from the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, go into all the world. We read in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus tells his disciples, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But, but God's plan from the beginning was to first, you go back to the Old Testament, was to first offer the kingdom to Israel, and then Israel would come into the kingdom and they would be alike to the nations. And in the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the scene as the true Israelite, that mission, that objective did not change. So go with me, if you would, to the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 16. We see this very clearly.
Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul writes, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Now listen to what he says. To the Jew first and then to the Greek. It's God's plan for the beginning. So when Jesus first sent his disciples out, their mission was very narrow. Let me just say to you, a ministry that is not focused, a ministry that does not have a clear objective will accomplish nothing. <laughs> like if your mission, if, if you get saved and you're like, all right, I want to work for Jesus and I want to win the world, well, that's a great ambition, but you probably won't reach anybody. With the, I mean, it'll be too overwhelming. Your job is not to win the world. Your, your job is to, to preach to your circle of influence, the, the people that God has called you to, the city that God has put you in, the neighborhood God has put you in, the school, the university that God has put you in, the job that God has put you in, your, the family that God has put you in. You're to preach the gospel to those people, the supermarket that you go to, the restaurant that you frequent. It's the same within the church. You're not asked to do everything. But you're asked to do something. Every one of you need a job within the church. You know, I'm so grateful uh, that in this church I get to do what I know I'm called to do. That's, I, I get to spend most of my time preaching and preparing to preach the Bible to you lovely people. I know I'm called to preach, but listen, I'm not, I know I'm not called to go to church, to church, to church, and preach to the whole world to teach them the Bible. I'm called to you. I'm called to Richmond. And I'm quite content with that. So the scope of ministry is narrow. Number three, the message of evangelism is clear. Let's look at verse 7. Jesus says, as you go, proclaim, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We must preach when we go and have a clear message, the gospel of the kingdom. Don't just talk to people about prayer and, and oh, do you go to church? We've got to preach the gospel of the kingdom. I heard a story that, that Pastor John MacArthur told. He was flying on a plane. He was on his way to a pastor's conference, so he was sitting by another pastor, fellow pastor on the plane. And while they were in flight, the, the, the gentleman beside him, the pastor, handed John a piece of paper, a small piece of paper with writing all over it. And he said, John, I want you to tell me what this paper says. And John looked at it, and he kind of scratched his head. And he said, I'm sorry. He said, I can't make any sense out of this. He said, fair enough. And so the man handed him another piece of paper, blank this time. He said, John, I want you to do something. I want you to write in the middle the words, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And he said, so John did that. And he said, now what I want you to do, I want you to write all over the paper, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Continuationist, Cessationist, Dispensationalist, Amillennial, Premillennial, Postmillennial. You get the idea. And John says, I see the point. When we go to the world, we can really... Confuse the message, confuse them with the message. We give them so many secondary things that it's like they miss the clear message of the gospel. We need friends to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, remember, it's about the rule and the reign of God that's come to this earth. That through Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, 
Jesus has inaugurated God's kingdom on the earth. Where he reigns is king. And our job is to tell people about the good news of kingdom. It's the kingdom of light. And, and we're to invite people to repent of their sins, to believe the gospel, and to make Jesus, King Jesus, the Lord of their lives. It's a beautiful message. It's very simple and it's very clear. And we must make it. We must keep it simple. Amen. When we're going to the lost. Number four, universal principle that we see here is this. Evangelism is about the glory of God, not personal gain. Jesus empowered the twelve to accompany the gospel message with signs and wonders. As a matter of fact, I'll just, you can go here later, I think I marked it on your note sheet, but 2 Corinthians 2.12, Paul says that one of the validations of an apostle was signs and wonders. And so Jesus gave them this authority. But then he sent them out and he says something that we might think is obvious, but he said, listen, you've received without pay. I didn't charge you when I've done these miracles and I brought you into the kingdom. He said, you give without pay. And it's like, okay. Well, in the first century, interestingly, amongst the Jews, it was common to have these exorcists who would charge people They'd actually make very lucrative careers out of their claims to be able to cast demons out of people. And they would take advantage of the very desperate. These people who had family members who they thought were possessed would spend top dollar. I mean, if you had a family member sick or you thought were possessed or whatever, I mean, would you not give every penny you had to help them? So that's what was going on. And so Jesus says, don't you dare be like them. Freely give. And you say, well, do people still do that? Well, have you ever seen some of these faith healers on TV? Oh, we'll pray for you. And if you give, and by, it's always to my ministry, then that'll release our anointing, and then you'll be healed. Friends, it's a Ponzi scheme. They're charlatans. Can I just say to you, I think you know this, but if you ever need prayer, you don't have to pay me <laughs> for that. Whether you give anything to this church or not, I mean, we, we're called to give. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not going to go look. You know, if you say, uh, Pastor, I'd like prayer. I, I'd like you to pray for my healing. I'm not going to look up your tithe account and go, well, sorry, pay up, and then we'll pray. We're not selling miracles here or holy water or everything else they sell. So he says, freely give. Now, I would venture to say that none of you are, are involved in this kind of uh, <laughs> Horrible uh, ministry where you're selling miracles or what have you. Or selling, you know, I'll share the gospel with you if you'll give me so much money. No, I don't think you're doing that. But let me just say as a point of application that we can also do this uh, evangelize for self-glory, which is also really bad. I talked about this three weeks ago. Uh, matter of fact, I was at Tucson last week officiating a wedding. And this gentleman came, older gentleman came to me after, um, during the reception and he just started bragging about all the different people he's led to the Lord. It wasn't like this. I mean, from time to time, we need to share these testimonies. But he just talked and talked and, not, uh, you know, talked, and talked and shared story after story with me. And it was not christ and It was all about him and what he did. It honestly just kind of made me have an ill feeling in my stomach. I said, brother, thankfully my wife came, to over, uh, came over. She knows that look when I need to be rescued. I'm letting some of you all in on my secret. Now she can't come and do that when I'm talking to you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she comes over and rescues me. But 
don't, this is not about you. You're not the Messiah. He is. You're not the one who saves. He is. Don't take credit for it. It's by God's grace if you lead somebody to the Lord. Number five, fifth principle. Reaching the lost is a time-sensitive mission. Look at uh, verses 9 through 11. Matthew, uh, Jesus says, Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Evangelism is a time-sensitive mission. The apostles' first missionary journey, what we read here, would have been relatively short. It would have been a small area, smaller area. So they could take what supplies they had. They could take the cloak that they had on them. But the idea is that they were not to take the time to go gather a surplus of goods to sustain them throughout this short trip. Jesus is saying, God will provide for you. God will provide for you. It's interesting, though, that the procedures change as time goes on with the disciples. When they were to go on longer trips and travel over dangerous terrain, you can read later Luke twenty-two thirty-five and 36, Jesus actually commands them to, before they go, to, to gather this surplus of goods for their journey. But on this first journey, instead of taking the supplies, the 12 were to trust God and they were to find a home in each town they were to go door to door, as it were, and they were to find someone who, a family, a Jewish family, who was open and receptive to the gospel message. And it was common in the first century for teaching rabbis, traveling rabbis, and traveling teachers, they would be housed, you know, in other Jewish homes. So they didn't have to get a hotel. They would go from house to house to house. And so Jesus says, listen, Find someone who is receptive to this message. And he said, the labor is worth the wages. In other words, they'll take care of you. It's not charging for ministry, but it's, listen, once they're in the kingdom, it's our job to take care of one, of, of one another, right? And our missionaries, by the way, who are all over the world, you might not be called to go to another country, but we are all called to support those who go. The point of this, though, is that Jesus, his, his earthly ministry was only three years Three years long when he started his earthly ministry. And so it's so interesting that Jesus, you know, in chapter 9, he looks out, he sees the lost sheep of Israel. He said, pray for laborers. Then he calls the disciples and he said, go right now. The message must get out now. And friends, let me just give us some application here. We make excuses all the time as why we can't get started in evangelism. But the proclamation of the gospel, it's a time-sensitive calling. People are dying by the day. No one is promised tomorrow. People are broken. Their lives are shattered. And we have the message of hope. It's great. I'm big on uh, relational evangelism, building relationships with people. And then at some point sharing the gospel. But you've got to get to that point eventually. Don't just have them to your house. Don't just pray for them. Share the gospel with them. We make excuses like, like I, I'm too busy, really too busy to change someone's eternal destiny. I'm too busy. Then this is the most common I hear, I don't know enough. How many have ever thought that? I, don't, I'm, I want to evangelize, but I don't know enough. Here's the thing. Tell what you do know. 
Do you know about Jesus? If you're in Christ, you should. <laughs> Do you know that he died, that he rose again? You've learned about the kingdom. You know that he, it's only through him that people can have eternal life and, and start even living on this, truly living on this earth. Invite people to repent, to believe in Jesus. And remember, go with somebody else. Go with a more seasoned brother or sister in Christ. I love this. Our, uh, Ron and Kay Ham, our, uh, two of our wonderful members, are teaching this new believers class on Sunday morning. And a few weeks ago, they taught on evangelism. And the class said, we want to get started on this. And so they've planned a, a, a little outreach right before Easter. They're going to door-to-door -door in our neighborhood, and they're going to share the gospel and give some information about our Easter service. I love it. So the gospel is a time, sharing the gospel is a time-sensitive mission. Number six, last point. We are to focus, when we, we evangelize, we're to focus on those who are receptive to the gospel. Focus on those who are receptive to the gospel. Look at verses 14 and 15. Final two verses. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words... Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Those are strong words. So Jesus told the 12 apostles, move from house to house, town to town. And if those people are not, if you, if you go to a house and they're not receptive of the gospel, don't beg them. Don't force it on them. Move on. It's this idea of not casting pearls before swine. He says, listen, if you go to a house or you go to a city and, and no one in the city will be receptive to the, to the gospel, go into the next city. My judgment will come upon them. So by point of way of application, number one, don't attempt to force the gospel on anyone. They don't want to hear it? Okay. Maybe there's a time in their life you can continue to pray for them. Maybe a time will come in their life when some tragedy hits and they are more op open to hearing about what you have to say. But go to those people who are ready and ripe to hear the gospel. And secondly, I'll remind you again, it's, this is so freeing. It's not your job to save anyone. Jesus is not condemning the apostles because somebody might not be receptive to their message. Your job is not to save people. It's to proclaim the gospel. The Lord doesn't need another Messiah. He fulfills that role quite well and completely. He's looking for messengers. So to me... You know, when I was in sales, it's like, okay, yeah, you have to proclaim the message, but you also have to sell or you're going to lose your job. It's not like that in the church. Thank the Lord. You might share the gospel with 100 people and nobody come to the Lord, but, the, but you've been faithful to do what, the God, what God's called you to do. It's not on you. It's God's job to, to cultivate their hearts. It's your job to proclaim the message, and it's their job to respond in faith. In closing... William Barclay told a story of the famous and wonderful Protestant reformer Martin Luther, a story that I had never heard before. But 
as you probably know, if you know anything about church history, Luther was part of this, uh, the Catholic Church, and he was very, very committed. But um, he was reading the Bible, studying Scripture, and, and particularly the book of Romans, and he realized that the Catholic Church was corrupt in many ways and that they were missing the true gospel. They were preaching a salvation by works message. And when he went to Romans, he realized that justification, salvation comes by faith. It's, it comes by grace through faith in Christ. And his life was just changed by this message. I mean, he was just blown away by the, by the joy <laughs> that that message would bring. And so he was determined to get the message out. Well, what's interesting is that Luther had a friend, Barclay says, that was in this monastery with him. And the friend said, I'm convinced of that message too, and I want to get this message out. So they formed, Luther and his friend formed an agreement. It was decided that Luther would go out and he would proclaim the true gospel. He would debate with the leaders of the Catholic Church. And he would proclaim the message to as many people as he could. He would do all of those things while the friend would stay in the monastery and pray without ceasing. I'll pray, you go. And so they, they lived this out, this plan out a while. But one night, a friend had a dream. And in the dream, he saw this massive field that covered the entire earth. And in all of the field, he saw one man, and, and he was way off in the distance. He was by himself, and the, the, the man was very blurry. But as, in, in the dream, as Luther's friend began to, to walk and actually run up to this man, it became clear that it was Luther. And he knew that this dream was from the Lord, and he got the message very clearly. So when he woke up, he went to Luther and he said, listen, he said, I know that I need to pray, but I need to do more than pray. I need to go with you and proclaim the gospel. Friends, we need to do more than pray. There are lost people all around us. They are not experiencing the peace of God, the joy of God, the true meaning of what it means to be human because they're not in Christ. And they're destined for the wrath of God without Christ, the ultimate wrath of God. We have the only message that can bring them life and life abundantly. The only message that can bring them peace, the only message that can bring them hope. And we've got to get busy. If I'm really honest, this is, I believe, a weak point of our church, and I, I shoulder this. We need to encourage about evangelism more. We need to teach on evangelism more. And by the way, I'm going to take Wednesday as much as I want to get back into the book of Revelation. I'm going to give some practical tips and some how-tos with evangelism. But I want to leave you with a, a task, all right? We're going to put this to practice, so listen to me, and I'm just another minute, and I'm done. Easter is coming up, April 17th. Is that right, somebody? Yeah. April 17th is Easter, and I always take Easter Sunday, and I preach more of an evangelistic message. Our faith hinges on one event in, in history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I welcome atheists and agnostics because I believe, yes, you have to have faith in the Lord. There's an element of faith there, but I think it's also logical to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's one of the most well proven ancient historical events. 
So there you go. Here's what I want you to do. That's April 17th. Before then, I want to challenge you to reach one family. Share the gospel with as many families as you can until you reach that one. I mean, you can keep going. You can, like, we're not going to be mad if you bring more than one. Share the gospel with them. Try to lead them to Christ. At least invite them to Easter service. How cool would it be if we baptized 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 people on Easter? So, you accept the challenge? Will you try by God's grace to do this? <laughs> Anybody? Let raise your hand. All right. All right. Ten of you. All right. Draw your spouses in with you, right? So, that's the goal. Lost people are everywhere. Friends, let's do all we can to rescue them by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and we're grateful for this time together. Um, Lord, we want to honor you in our proclamation of the gospel. We, we want to be more faithful in this ministry. Help us to see lost and broken people around us and give us the boldness to share. And may we live out the, the, the principles of the gospel of the kingdom. May we be truthful. May we be sexually pure. May we love you with all of our hearts. May we love our neighbor as ourselves. May we take care of the poor and the marginalized. May we be slow to anger. May we be quiet and gentle and seek peace amongst everyone. Help us, Lord, we pray. And if there's one listening to me online or perhaps one here today that's not part of this kingdom, one who's not part of the family of God, one who is not saved, may they run to you today. May they repent of their sins, believe the gospel, and give their lives fully and wholly to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.